their constant refrain, big government this, big government that, except for what they want to impose on the American people. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Why did I? I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, yeah, that. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle with and you from Pacifica Radios, KPFK, in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in LA. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest in China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and streaming coast to coast and around the globe via kpfk.org. The Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Fine Affiliates in Parts Unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure, and it has been already before we even have begun the show. Uh, Two things happen. At least two things happen. Uh, One, there was so much breaking news and stuff that was going on today that I wanted to cover I'm thinking to myself, well, how the hell am I going to fit everything in today? What am I going to pick and choose? What's the most important stuff to cover to get out there? Uh, that was one thing that happened. And then the other thing that happened just before airtime was we lost our guest. So that actually makes that first problem a little bit easier because we've got a lot more time uh, to cover a lot of the things that I was hoping to cover. And frankly, even without the guest, I don't know that we're going to be able to get to everything. But... We will try. By the way, our guest that we we didn't lose, actually, uh, he has rescheduled. Uh, we hope to do it next week. Very much looking forward to this interview uh, with Richard Vigory, who, if, if uh, folks listening don't know his name, he is uh, described as the funding father of the conservative movement. He has been around. He is, a, frankly, a legend, an icon at this point. I think he's about 82 years old. He has uh, he's sort of... Uh, well, the funding father of the conservative movement. He is at the very center. Uh, his website is called Conservative HQ. He invented direct mail fundraising. And he's at the very center of this uh, this fight, this madness to try to find a speaker of the uh, of the U.S. House in the Republican Party. Now, I had him on uh, I interviewed him years ago. I think it was back in 2008. Um uh, after he had called for the entire Republican leadership, starting with George W. Bush on down at the time, back in 2008, to resign because they had uh, been so devastating to the Republican cause, to the conservative cause. And we gave him a uh, an intellectually honest conservative award at the time. 
at the Brad blog. And it was a really interesting interview. And uh, well, anyway, I don't want to give too much away. We're going to reschedule it for next week. I'm very much looking forward to it because I'd like to figure out what the hell these people are thinking on the Republican side of the aisle right now as they're going through with this uh, madness of their Republican uh, uh, presidential primary and uh, more directly what's going on in the U.S. House and the fact that these people may not even be able to find anyone to get enough uh, Republican support to become the next U.S. House Speaker. And then what happens? I don't know. Nobody knows. Which is why I'm hoping uh, to, to talk to Richard Vigory and see what he might be thinking. Because I'll tell you what, the Republican uh, movement, the, the conservative, the so-called Freedom Caucus, they listen to Richard Vigory. And so what he says uh, may very well tell us what they are thinking, if anything at all. So I I'm looking forward to that. And if you would like, by the way, if you have any uh, questions you would like me to ask Richard Vigory, drop me some email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And I will consider uh, asking him about that next week when and if we finally do get to uh, to chat. And uh, And you can also, of course, Find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. All right. Desi Doyen is here with us today, as ever. Hey, Desi Doyen. Hey. Uh, our producer and, of course, my co-host on the Green News Report. And we will have a Green News Report a little bit later today, as well as a lot of uh, news, if I leave enough time, to follow up that Green News Report. Yesterday, we, were, uh, we had... Um, uh, Heather Digby Parton and Eric Bollert were our guests, and we discussed the Democratic presidential primary on Tuesday. And uh, and it was fascinating debate and, frankly, a fascinating discussion on yesterday's program, which you can download at bradblog.com or iTunes or anywhere else. Uh, one thing we didn't talk, though, about uh, very much, Desi, was the environmental stuff that came up for the first time in a presidential debate, yeah, and on Tuesday. Yes, it was. Uh, it was lovely. I enjoyed it. I a know lot. you did. <laughs> I know you were happy to hear it. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, we will be covering that in a special Green News report, special report, as uh, <laughs> Colbert used to say, uh, a, a, a little bit later, and then some follow up that we don't have time for in the actual Green News report. Some follow up from some Republicans who are now freaking out about the fact that the environment and climate change and global warming came up in the Democratic debate. So hopefully we will hear from some of those freaking out uh, and or lying Republicans uh, responding to what the Dems had to say on green issues during the uh, during the debate. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, I think it's the end of the debate about green issues. I really do. And and the end of the debate about climate change, global warming, at least as far as whether it's happening, is it a hoax? I mean, it's only the dead-enders, the dead-enders like Rush Limbaugh and, oh, yes, the entirety of the Republican Party, unfortunately, or at least the Republican uh, primary candidates who are still clinging to that idiocy. That has been disproven over and over again, if only because ExxonMobil themselves had discovered global warming back in, what, 1977? 1977, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, of course, what they did was changed course, started funding climate change denial, and said, hey, you know what? This means the Arctic is going to get uh, warmer. 
Yep. And there won't be as much ice. We'll be able to go up there and drill and make the problem even worse. <sighs> and that's what they did. All right. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about about that coming up in a bit. Um, one of the uh, audio clips we didn't get to play yesterday from the debate on Tuesday uh, was was from Hillary Clinton, uh, which I thought was a really impressive. Speaking of Republicans and how they are just off the rails, how they are no longer a legitimate governing party, in my opinion, uh, one of the uh, points uh, or the moments from that debate um, from Hillary Clinton, I thought was rather impressive. I thought a lot of what Hillary had to say was rather impressive in that debate. And this is, by the way, coming from someone who is not all that impressed with Hillary Clinton and hasn't been uh, impressed at all with her campaign up until now. But uh, on during the debate, I thought she did great. And and this uh, and this clip sort of underscores she she nailed it. She was asked uh, about uh, parental leave, uh, paid parental uh, leave. Is that what it was? Uh, yes. Uh, Dana Bash, the CNN right. reporter, said, hey, you know, you have called for required, mandated, mandatory family leave. Right. Um, and small businesses and, of course, you know, Business Chamber of Commerce is saying that's too much. That'll force small businesses to close. They can't afford it. Right. Which is what they which is the argument against anything and everything. Uh, when it comes to things that we, the people, might want from our government, uh, it'll kill. It'll kill jobs. It'll kill small business. Anyway, so Hillary Clinton uh, was asked about this: Will this kill small business, especially as is Car Carly Fiorina right? Especially as right as Carly Fiorina, who's out here from California, is charging that this will this will kill small business. Here was Hillary Clinton's response. Well, I'm surprised she says that because California has had a paid leave program for a number of years. It has not had the ill effects that the Republicans are always saying it will have. And I think this is, this is typical Republican scare tactics. When people say that, um, it's always the Republicans or their sympathizers who say you can't have paid leave, you can't provide health care. They don't mind having big government to interfere with a woman's right to choose and to try to take down Planned Parenthood. They're fine with big government when it comes to that. I'm sick of it. You know, we can do these things. We, we should not be paralyzed. We should not be paralyzed by the Republicans and their constant refrain, big government this, big government that, except for what they want to impose on the American people. I know we can afford it because we're going to make the wealthy pay for it. That is Thank the you. way to get Senator it done. Senator. Wow. Wow. She could have been guest hosting the broadcast with that particular <laughs> rant. Uh, the Republicans are always against big government, this big government, that until they want big government and they want to interfere in the lives of Americans. Wow. Now, of course, had I said that, uh, you wouldn't have thought much of it. I mean, I say that kind of stuff all the time. But to hear it in a Democratic debate uh, from really one of the most conservative uh, candidates in that on that stage. Well, you know, setting aside Jim Webb, the former Republican, never mind that to hear that from her, from Hillary Clinton, I think shows just how far this party has come, how far this party has moved back to where it was supposed to have been in the first place. And I would say, as well as Hillary Clinton did on that point, uh, a lot of that is thanks to Martin O'Malley is thanks to, in particular, Bernie Sanders. 
forgiving uh, forgiving candidates, forgiving Democrats, uh, the freedom, the ability to speak about the truth and to call these people out and to call these liars out, these hypocrites who are, uh, you know, claim to be against big government. And by the way, there's plenty of reasons, if you like, to be against big government. And maybe when we speak with Richard Vigory, I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. There are legitimate reasons to be against big government, but to be against to claim to be a big against big government and then want to do things like uh, shut down Planned Parenthood, uh, take away, you know, the the right for uh, people to choose for women to choose. And then to claim, you know, the right uh, against the right for uh, uh, marriage equality for people to marry who they love and yet at the same time claim you're against big government. To spend trillions to spy on every American and claim you're against big government to, you know, to to have dozens of foreign wars and claim you are against big government. No, you don't get to do that, at least not without being called out by people like me. And now apparently by people like Hillary Clinton. Kind of amazing. Now, with all of that said, uh, following the debate, there's sort of a, a story that is still untold here and still unfolding. So I'm really interested to see how this moves. But after the debate on Tuesday night, all of the big corporate media all came out and said Hillary won. Hillary crushed her opponents. Uh, this was uh, not just corporate media, but also uh, media on the progressive media and the right wing media. You had National Journal columnist Ron Fournier saying, quote, Hillary Clinton won. A Slate journalist saying she crushed it. New York's uh, Ryan Lizza, Hillary Clinton won because all of her opponents are terrible, <laughs> which I disagree with. Pollster John Zogby, Mrs. Clinton was just commanding tonight. Uh, and this went on and on and on, and it was sort of a, a consensus within the, uh, the media elite, the punditry, that Hillary won, and she did, by the way, do well. But when we had our conversation yesterday on this program with, with Digby and with Eric Bollert, we, the idea of who won and who lost is ridiculous. We didn't bring it up. We didn't you know, ask about who won, who lost. Tell me. Give me your hot take. Try to talk about what it all meant and what uh, you know, this might mean for the, uh, for the Democratic Party, for progressives, and so forth. But, you know, the media, they can't help it. Who won? Who lost? Well, if you listen to the media, Hillary won. But if you listen to the people, at least according to these, um, this is from uh, FAIR, FAIR and Accuracy in uh, Reporting. They took a look at uh, the online polls. Now, mind you, these are not scientific polls because these are people, these are online polls where people can choose to participate or not. And in all of these, on one after another, let's see, we've got about seven here. Sanders absolutely crushed Hillary Clinton. Now, you might say that, uh, well, this is a bunch of Sanders supporters out there uh, gaming these polls, and they could be. They absolutely could be. But if you take a look, for example, Time, uh, Time Magazine, 235,000 respondents. It's kind of hard to game that many that quickly right after a poll, but it could be done. But that's a lot of it's 235,000 respondents. 56% said uh, Sanders won, 11% said Clinton won. 
The Drudge Report, the right-wing Drudge Report, uh, 315,000 respondents. 54% said Sanders, 9% said, uh, said Hillary Clinton. By the way, Jim Webb, the right-winger who's running in the Democratic Party, he received 31% in that poll, way more than Clinton. Um, MSNBC. So we're to, you know, so we've gone from the, the sort of the center, if you will, Time Magazine to the uh, to the right with Drudge Report. Both thought uh, Sanders uh, crushed it. MSNBC, 69% for Sanders, 12% for Hillary Clinton as far as who won the October 13 Democratic debate. And that was out of 18,000 respondents. Now, I don't know, as I said, who is right and who is wrong here and if these uh, polls are gamed, but that's a whole lot of polls to be gamed in a very short uh, period of time. So we're going to have to wait for the for the real polls, the phone polls, I suppose, um, to see uh, what difference that debate made. I suspect Hillary Clinton will bump up a few points. I suspect Bernie Sanders will also bump up uh, a few points, maybe even more points because he had more to go, uh, more points to rise. Uh, fewer people knew him until they saw him in that debate. So we'll keep an eye out uh, for that. But uh, beware of uh, corporate media announcing uh, and their pundits announcing who won and who lost, because that's a measure of almost exactly absolutely nothing. I, you know, it's true. And, and to me, it's just remarkable, the disconnect, the disconnect between what uh, people are, you know, real live average American people are saying versus what the uh, the narrative that the corporate media elite, as you call them, have put forth. I mean, it's it's very similar to the 2000 election when, you know, they had a pre-existing narrative about Al Gore and they stuck to that narrative about about Al Gore. They did the same thing to John Kerry. Oh, Al Gore is wooden. John Kerry is boring. Here, Hillary Clinton, she's screechy and awful. And oh, we've decided we want her to be the nominee. So we are going to generate all of the content toward the inevitability of Hillary Clinton. Well, she won the debate. Well, it's interesting. Uh, it does seem that the uh, corporate media certainly does not want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee for some reason, for some reason that I couldn't tell you. But, uh, yeah, the uh, corporate mainstream media, they have their narratives and uh, they stick to them. And we are here to help you see through those narratives, particularly when the evidence behind them does not support them. In this case, it is not a matter of who won or who lost. This is a conversation. It is a real conversation. And that conversation with the start of the Democratic presidential debates, as opposed to the Republican clown show that we have been watching has finally now begun. The conversation has begun. I'll take it. Okay, a quick break, and we are back with a new Edward Snowden. Yep, I'll explain after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now.
Welcome back. This is your Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, we've got a new Edward Snowden, a new whistleblower who is releasing a lot of documents concerning the United States drone program, the uh, the global assassination program now being uh, run originally begun by the uh, Bush administration, now being carried out by the Obama administration. Uh, we'll get to that in one moment, but I wanted to do this update a couple of, uh, actually, not even a couple, seems like a couple of weeks ago, but I think it was just a week or so ago, the Umqua Community College uh, shooting, the massacre up there, we were talking about once again, we were talking about guns in the wake of that massacre and the uh, nonsense from the uh, uh, National Rifle Association and their sympathizers and the nonsense, uh, the myth of uh, the good guy with a gun myth, that uh, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is good guy with a gun. And we were speaking, I think, with Josh Holland at the time, who had right. interviewed a bunch of experts, a bunch of uh, veterans and, and experts on the issue, and they said that that's absolute nonsense that a good guy with a gun is not the thing you want to stop a bad guy with a gun because it doesn't work. Uh, other people end up getting hurt and so forth. And he cited a story that had happened, I think it was that same day, up in uh, in Michigan, up in Auburn Hills, Michigan, a woman uh, who started firing at a shoplifter who was being uh, chased out of the store. She, in the crowded parking lot, and apparently she was a concealed carry. She had a concealed carry permit, and she just started shooting at a shoplifter as if she was judge, jury, and executioner. Well, now that woman uh, has been charged, according to the De Detroit Free Press, which reports as a suspected shoplifter fled an Auburn Hills store with his getaway driver. Police say Tatiana Duva Rodriguez fired at the vehicle, flattening one of its tires. Now the 46-year-old Clarkson woman is charged with a crime. She was arraigned on a misdemeanor count of reckless use, handling of di or discharge of a firearm in a 52-3 district court in Rochester Hills uh, on Wednesday. A not guilty plea was entered on her behalf, according to officials. Duva Rodriguez, a concealed pistol license holder, was in the parking lot of the Home Depot when a store employee attempted to stop a man pushing a cart of stolen merchandise out of the store. According to the police, suspect got into a, a Kia Rondo driven by another man. Oakland County Prosecutor Jessica Cooper said in a statement that if this is proven, I find it very disturbing that someone would take out their gun in a busy parking lot and shoot at the tires of a passing car. Once fired, the bullet could have ricocheted easily or fragmented and injured or killed someone else, she said. This is the uh, prosecutor. It would have been much more helpful for her to take out her cell phone and shoot pictures of the shoplifter's license plate. Uh, the uh, police chief out there in Auburn Hill said, we do not encourage bystanders to insert themselves into incidents because of the potential for deadly consequences. I think that's great news that she is being charged with a crime to send the message that, no, people, you are not the police. You don't get to decide uh, who gets killed and who doesn't for shoplifting. So she'll be back in court 
later this month, and uh, she faces uh, uh, 90 days in jail and or a fine, according to police. So there's your update on that story. All right. Well, I just wonder if the NRA, if she got her special NRA member insurance, because they Uh, offer that, you know, in case you get into trouble with unlawful and stupid use of your guns. So maybe she'll be able to avail herself of that. You can get stand your ground insurance, right? If you end up shooting someone with your gun and they sue you because you killed them or you go to jail you have to cover your uh, uh your, expenses, your expenses your, your, your legal lawyer. expenses yeah yeah wow yeah well i guess she needs that here or she could have just not been stupid in the first place speaking of stupid america's drone program <laughs> uh received this uh, just before air today uh, from ryan Grimm over at the huffington post he was actually on this uh, program last week as uh, guest hosted by uh, nicole sandler uh, Ryan, uh, who heads up, I think he's the uh, national uh, correspondent over at uh, Huffington Post or Washington, whatever. Um, he cites uh, a new report published by The Intercept. That's Glenn Greenwald's uh, Intercept, uh, Jeremy Scahill's uh, Intercept, and so forth. And they are running part of this over at The Huffington Post. Um, A new investigation they're calling the Drone Papers that reveals for the first time the inner workings of the Obama administration's global assassination program. Jeremy Scahill is the uh, lead reporter here, and uh, Ryan Grimm says we are publishing this in part at Huffington Post. It's the result of a leak by a new whistleblower, one who believes that the program is fundamentally morally flawed, has killed countless innocent people, and has backfired strategically. This news comes as Obama is set to announce, and this announcement also came out today, that he intends to continue the now 14-year-long war in Afghanistan rather than withdraw troops as previously planned. So we can look forward to more of that fantastic war begun after 2001 in response to the uh, 9-11 attacks. Still ongoing, America's longest war, 14 years. Uh, That's going to continue in Afghanistan, even as we continue this uh, drone program pretty much all over the world, but certainly in, in a number of countries in the Middle East. The drone papers reveals that a 2012 through 2013 drone campaign in a nearby province in the uh, nearby to the northeastern city of Kunduz in Afghanistan. Uh, the operation was known as Operation Haymaker. It killed more than 200 people, but only 35 were the intended target. So over one five-month period, the documents show nearly 90% of those killed in the strikes were not the intended target. Target. Ninety percent. We're not. We're not the intended target of our drone program, which our president has told us, oh, they're very careful on who they target and how it works. Turns uh, out not so much. Not so much. Uh, maybe they uh, who's running this? The lady in the Home Depot parking lot at this point? Ryan Grimm adds, is it any surprise the Taliban strength has been increasing as a result? Well, of course. When you end up killing all of these innocent people, I think people are going to be upset by that. <laughs> and, uh, man, it, you know, it's just amazing to me. And, you you know, you see America, who is just, or the U.S., I should say, who is just, uh, you know, furious about, oh, Russia is coming into Syria and, and they're, they're killing innocent people. They're not going after ISIS. They're accidentally hitting other. Well, what the hell have we been doing 
for the past more than a decade, I was going to say past decade, decade and a half at this point. And what do we continue to do? So this is a uh, cache of secret slides that has been released by a source, an insider source to The Intercept, to uh, Jeremy Scahill that provides what uh, Scahill describes as a window into the inner workings of the U.S. military's kill and capture operation at a key time in the evolution of the drone wars. The documents, which also outline the internal views of special operations forces on the shortcomings and flaws of the drone program, were provided by a source within the intelligence community who worked on the type of operations and programs described in these slides. They granted uh, anonymity to the source because the materials are classified and because the U.S. government has engaged in aggressive prosecution of whistleblowers. Oh, you don't say. The source um, decided to provide these documents, says Gayhill, because he believes the public has a right to understand the process by which people are placed on kill lists and ultimately assassinated on orders from the highest echelons of the U.S. government. The source says, quote, this is this outrageous explosion of watch listing of monitoring people and racking and stacking them on lists, assigning them numbers, assigning them baseball cards, assigning them death sentences without notice on a worldwide battlefield. It was, from the very instance, wrong, says this source. We are allowing this to happen, and by we, he says, I mean every American citizen who has access to this information now but continues to do nothing about it. Of course, the uh, Pentagon, White House, Special Operations Command all declined uh, comment. Some of the, uh, and, and this is just an amazing report. Obviously, we're not going to have time to go into it into uh, a full detail here. But the, uh, the costs of this operation are amazing, not just in, uh, in, in money, but the costs uh, to our intelligence Scahill writes about the costs of intelligence gathering when suspected terrorists are killed rather than captured. That's mentioned in one of the slides that's included in this report pertaining to Yemen and Somalia. The slides were part of a 2013 study conducted by the Pentagon, uh, an entity called the Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Task Force. Um, taken together, the secret documents, says Cahill, lead to the conclusion that Washington's 14-year high-value targeting campaign suffers from an over-reliance on signals intelligence, an apparently incalculable civilian toll, and, due to a preference for assassination rather than capture, an inability to extract potentially valuable intelligence from terror suspects. Uh, the slides also highlight the futility of the war in Afghanistan by showing how the U.S. has poured vast resources into killing local insurgents in the process, exacerbating the very threat the U.S. is seeking to confront by killing innocents at a huge rate. A huge rate. So, you know, we killed tw uh, 200. Uh, only 35 of them were supposed to be killed. Uh, this program has been shrouded in secrecy as it's been carried out by two presidents over four presidential terms. Uh, it's just an amazing... Uh, the, the source talks about um, the stunning number of instances where selectors, uh, this is the signal intelligence, for example, SIM cards in the uh, telephones that they're following. 
Uh, they don't know if it's actually the terrorist they're hoping to get at, but uh, they believe that this is his phone, his cell phone, and they follow that, and then they drone him. Well, he reports, according to uh, The Intercept, that it's uh, countless instances where he's come across intelligence that was faulty. He says it's stunning the number of instances when selectors are misattributed to certain people, and it isn't until several months or years later that you all of a sudden realize that the entire time you thought you were going after this really hot target, you wind up realizing it was his mother's phone the whole time. There is uh, obviously much more in this report. I hope it gets uh, mainstream corporate media attention because uh, it's just amazing. It is amazing what is being done in our name that we don't even talk about, that we don't even debate in this country that Congress won't even bring up. Uh, the Republicans apparently are very happy with this. Just kill anybody. Actually, they're not happy with it. They want more. They want boots on the ground. They want boots on the ground in Syria, <laughs> as we have heard uh, from pretty much every Republican candidate for president at this point. Well, in the meantime, we are killing innocent people. We are wondering why the rest of the world hates us. And we are being critical of other countries uh, for daring to participate in this madness. And it's exactly what was warned about before we even went into Iraq. I mean, obviously with Afghanistan, you know, the longest war ever. But the, the idea that you're going to, by doing this, you're creating more terrorists. You're killing terrorists and you're creating more than you can get around to killing. That's what we are doing We've right been now. warned about it. We've talked about it. And yet we continue to do it. Unbelievable. The hypocrisy, the madness, the death. Uh, I'm glad another Edward Snowden has uh, stepped forward. Um, I hope the uh, CIA doesn't get his cell uh, number. We're going to take a quick break and we're back with the Green News Report. Once again, we turn to Desi Doyd and the Green News Report to cheer <laughs> us up, which is always amazing. Uh, and back to the Democratic debate where they did finally, finally talk about uh, global warming on stage in a presidential debate and of course the republicans are freaking out about it all of that and more straight ahead i'm brad friedman this is your bradcast don't touch that dial Continuing to melt with you on the broadcast from Los Angeles, where we continue to swelter even uh, mid-October, and we are still sweltering out here, 90 uh, temperatures in the 90s in October, and no, for those of you not from Southern California, not from Los Angeles, no, it is not 90 degrees year-round like this. No, it's definitely uh, not. At this least is it definitely unusual. Didn't used to be, in ah, any case. True, uh, true. It may be the new normal. Okay. Um, there is, uh, well, big news, of course, on uh, from the Democratic debate. And you can, oh, but you could tweet me. I meant to say, I always forget to say that. You can tweet me. You can find me on the Facebooks. I am the Brad Blog. Uh, if you want to touch base on anything we've talked about uh, today or that we will talk about in the near future. Um, but the Democrats finally uh, talked about, or I should say the media, the corporate media actually finally brought up climate change in a presidential debate. And we cover that in a uh, 
special edition of our Green News Report. We're going to play it a little bit earlier than usual because I want to come back with a bit of follow-up as the Republicans are, uh, are freaking out thereafter. So let's get right to it. Our latest Green News Report. I have uh, put forward a plan. I've put forward specific plans. How are we going to solve energy problems here? I've worked hard for climate change. The planet, the future of the planet is at stake. Green News Report special coverage. Finally, climate change in the spotlight in a presidential debate. Impossible. All of that special coverage and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I'm a strong proponent of nuclear power. It is safe. It is clean. Oh, former senator turned Democratic presidential candidate Jim Webb, you would make an excellent Republican presidential candidate. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it finally happened. A presidential debate where an actual question was asked about climate change. I know, finally. And it had to come from a Facebook video. CNN actually had to turn to some random citizen to ask the question. As presidential candidate, what will you do to address climate change? So I guess one of the 17 reporters they had at the event couldn't say to the candidates, What are you going to do about climate change? Yes, five official candidates for the 2016 Democratic presidential nomination squared off in Las Vegas for their first debate this week. And for the first time, climate change actually got its own question. Unlike the Republican crop of candidates, all of the Democratic candidates say they accept climate science, but they do differ on how to solve it. As you said, former Virginia senator and Republican turned Democrat Jim Webb focused on nuclear energy, and he seemed to cast doubt on whether China will actually follow through with its historic emissions agreement signed with President Obama recently. We need to solve this in a global way. It's a global problem, and I have been very strong on on doing that. The so-called agreements that we have had with China are illusory in terms of the immediate requirements of the, of the Chinese government itself. Now, that seems to me to be just utter nonsense. These agreements are illusory. Is he right? He does seem to be suggesting that China can't be trusted. But, hey, they are the world leader right now in clean energy, and they're launching the world's largest cap and trade system. So I don't think he is right about that. Lincoln Chafee, a former liberal Republican senator. Another Republican turned Democrat. Yes, he was an independent governor of Rhode Island, and now he's a Democrat. He highlighted his work on cap and trade legislation while he was in the U.S. Senate. When asked which enemy he is proud of making in politics, he said, I guess the coal lobby in my time in the Senate tried to bring them to the table so that we could address carbon dioxide. I'm proud to... uh, be at odds with the coal lobby. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton reiterated her position that action on climate change is actually an economic opportunity. I've put forward specific plans about how we're going to create more good-paying jobs by investing in infrastructure and clean energy, by making it possible once again to invest in science and research and taking the opportunity posed by climate change to grow our economy. Clinton has often said that she believes that the U.S. should become the world's clean energy superpower. She says that she will expand on President Obama's climate policies, like the Clean Power Plan, but her policy, according to 350.org founder Bill McKibben, is, quote, only halfway there because she stops short of calling for a price on carbon. 
Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders highlighted his carbon tax legislation in the Senate, and he added in some campaign finance reform for good measure. We introduced the first piece of climate change legislation, which called for a tax on carbon. And let me also tell you that nothing is going to happen unless we are prepared to deal with campaign finance reform because the fossil fuel industry is funding the Republican Party, which denies the reality of climate change. This is a moral issue. We have got to be extremely aggressive. The planet, Thank the you, future Senator. of the planet is at stake. Senator Sanders also raised the hackles of uh, Rush Limbaugh and the Republican Party with his response to the question of what is the greatest threat that our nation now faces. The scientific community is telling us if we do not address the global crisis of climate change, transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to sustainable energy, the planet that we're going to be leaving our kids and our grandchildren may well not be habitable. Former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley gave the most specific proposal of the debate to deal with climate change. He compared the effort to the national effort to put a man on the moon. Mr. President, I intend to sign as my very first order in office an order that moves us as a nation and dedicates our resources to solving this problem and moving us to a 100% clean electric grid by 2050. 100% clean electric grid by 2050. It would be quite a challenge, but it is doable, and his plan is very specific with market incentives for renewable energy deployment, for green buildings, for infrastructure. All of this is, frankly, a very stark contrast to the Republican Party candidates. They still mostly deny mainstream climate science to varying degrees. They also obstruct and delay action, and the corporate media is happy to let them go unchallenged. It is, frankly, obscene that the corporate media hasn't asked more of both Republicans and Democrats on this particular issue. Indeed. For much more on this story and all of the ones we couldn't get to, thanks to CNN bothering to ask about climate change, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Special Report. Seems like you should take a bow or something, Desi <laughs> Joanne. Uh, I love the fact that you chose that song. Yeah, that just well, makes me laugh because it's so true, though. This is where we are. We are to the point where we have to be delighted and happy that, oh, my God, they're finally talking about the ex- existential threat to humanity. For any bones or scraps you are exactly. thrown, you must be happy. And Because I, I know you have gone through election cycle after election cycle. Complaining, whining and complaining about yeah. the fact that uh, the media just uh, you know won't bring this up. Remember, it was Kenny Crowley, CNN, back in 2012, 12. who uh, responded and said something like, well, you climate change people. We had a question for all you climate change you people, climate but change we chose people. to talk about retail gas prices instead. And I did forget there was a, uh, a Twitter uh, follower reminded me that there was a question about global warming back in 2007, right before the, uh, the 2008 campaign. And CNN had a snowman, an animated snowman, ask the question. <laughs> no, Remember? Really? Yes, they did. I completely forgot uh, yeah, about it. You know, this is because they don't take it seriously. CNN does not take... I mean, nobody in the corporate media takes it seriously, but there you have but it. at least they asked about it back then because back then you could talk about it back then remember it was not yet a hoax right. it was only after citizens united that all of the republicans jumped on board with the fossil fuel industry to say this was a hoax back then sarah palin uh, was talking about what we need to do about climate change uh mitt romney john, john mccain, mccain all oh, yeah. of them uh used to 
And At least it was considered, happened. you know, relevant and something to talk about. So now they pretend it doesn't exist, including the former governor of Florida, who should you would think be more concerned than anybody because Florida is like, you know, first to go. But Jeb Bush, now presidential candidate, all of a sudden uh, he uh, takes umbrage with what uh, Bernie Sanders has to say when uh, uh, he was asked about what the greatest security threat that this country faces. As you just heard, he said uh, that climate change, global warming is the greatest threat. And so, of course, Jeb Bush went running to Fox News uh, to to give a response to uh, Bernie Sanders and to what is really the greatest national security threat facing this country and this planet. And here's here's what Jeb Bush had to say. I don't think climate change ranks in the in the top 10 list when you consider that we have these asymmetric threats of Islamic terrorism organized to destroy Western civilization. You have nation states like Russia on the run where we're pulling back, creating big problems for ourselves and our allies. You see the threats on Israel, the threats uh, to Europe across the board. We have serious national security challenges in this in this world today because of the weakness of the Obama-Clinton foreign policy. And that would be the answer, I think, that most people would want to hear. You're probably right. You're, you're probably right, Steve. Uh, Steve Ducey. Steve Ducey there. Uh, so Jeb Bush says uh, climate change is not even in the top 10. Not is it not only is it not the top 1. It's not even in the top 10 of national security threats. Oddly enough, the uh, national security apparatus, the military uh in, in the US and around the world seems to disagree yeah. with Jeb Bush. He seems to disagree with the Pentagon. Yes. And the Director of National Intelligence and the CIA. Yes. Uh, the U.S. Department of Defense, the uh, G7 Council on Foreign Relations, the Center for Naval Analyses Military Advisory Board, all agree, and other many other military a- experts all agree that climate change is a top national security threat. Uh, the Department of Defense's 2014 Quadrennial Defense Review stated that climate change impacts such as resource scarcity and severe weather are, quote, threat multipliers that will con- uh, will create conditions that can, quote, ina- enable terrorist activity. Uh, and that, of course, is one of the reasons why the military has long been preparing for the impacts of climate change. And I think we've got a new report out uh, just this week from the military. Yes, on there's this a, as well. a group within the, uh, the the director of national intelligence, the DNI office. They have just put out a new report that uh, came out, I think, today that talks about that predicts that there will be major food shortages, uh, food crises coming up in the next 10 years, partly due to climate change causing extreme weather, causing crop failure, causing drought, causing famine. And so, it was, yeah, and, that's kind of a national security issue. And as we have talked about on this show, it was drought that uh, exacerbated the problems in Syria. And that led to, uh, you know, farmers who, who couldn't uh, raise crops anymore. They moved into the city where there was not enough food. There was or jobs. Upri- uh, or jobs. Uprisings began. That led to ISIS. And that's exactly when Jeb Bush decided to say, oh, I'm scared of ISIS. Well, why don't you solve the problem that created ISIS in the first place instead of playing it down? I don't even think that's in the top 10. Well, and also remember how many Americans have been killed by terrorists versus how many Americans have been killed by extreme weather just here in the United States. Just in the past week. Yeah. I mean, 
So when you're looking at Wake what is up, an issue Jeb. of national security, whose who's national security are we talking about here? Or are we talking about really keeping supply lines for the oil industry open? Yeah. And Jeb Bush's job security, I think, is more like what it is. Um, of course, uh, Rush Limbaugh was uh, similarly outraged that, uh, Jeb, that uh, Bernie Sanders would discuss the idea that this planet uh, could become uninhabitable. But you know what? Uh, I'll do you the favor of not playing. Actually, I'll do our friend Dr. Tucker the favor <laughs> of not playing Rush Limbaugh because we're short on time. But I'll just point out that, uh, you know, he's, uh, of course, furious about it. He thinks uh, Bernie Sanders is crazy. What do you mean it's going to be uninhabitable? It's all a hoax. There is no global warming. Uh, he, uh, Rush goes on and on and on. And I mention that because at the same time, we now have this story from the Wall Street Journal of all places. Wall Street Journal, owned by Rupert Murdoch, same guy who owns Fox News. Bankrupt coal company Alpha Natural Resources, Inc. paid lawyer Chris, Chris Horner $18,600 before it filed for Chapter 11 this summer. Virginia-based Alpha made $3,6200 payments to Mr. Horner, an author and global warming skeptic who has been accused of harassing climate scientists between uh, uh, climate scientists between May and July of this year, according to documents filed earlier this month in the company's bankruptcy case. Now, Alpha Natural Resources is the company, the coal company, and I think is now the largest in the in the nation, if I'm not mistaken. They just bought Massey Energy uh, not long ago after the uh, explosion in in West Virginia. Where, that killed 29 miners in that coal mine, and the uh, the head of Massey Energy, Don Blankenship, who used to be king of coal in this country, he's now uh, he's now on trial, ex- accused of uh, conspiring to violate safety laws before that 2010 explosion at that coal at that mine that killed 29 miners. That happened. Alpha Natural Resources came in and purchased Massey Energy, and because of uh, the need to defend. Um, uh, legal issues there, and more importantly, the crash of the price of coal, thanks to a number of factors, including natural gas uh, being cleaner and cheaper at this point. Uh, Alpha Natural Resources has had to declare bankruptcy, this huge coal company, and in the process of doing so, all of these documents are now becoming are, are now coming public, and we find out that they were paying climate change deniers like this guy Chris Horner. To go out there and and lie about uh, about climate change and to harass folks like uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Mann, who we've had on this show just recently. Yeah, he's one of the perpetrators of the idea that you uh, hit these climate scientists that are at public Horner universities. Horner is one of those, not Michael Mann. I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Chris Horner, the yeah. denier who is yeah. paid by the bankrupt coal company, is one of those people who puts forth a FOIA request storm. They basically inundate climate scientists who work at public universities with FOIA Freedom of Information Act requests, which ties up the scientists, forces them to spend hours and hours of unpaid work trying to gather hundreds of thousands of emails so that they can go on a fishing expedition. And that that basically is a way to also obstruct the science because you prevent the scientists from being able to do their work. And it's because they have a a public uh, EDU uh, email address that these guys think, oh, well, we have a right to read all of their emails. Uh, guys like Horner, whose uh, whose books include Red Hot Lies, How Global Warming Alarmists Use Threats, Fraud, and Deception to Keep You Misinformed. 
and his other book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming and Environmentalism. Uh, so he has been uh, funded by the coal industry, like so many of these people. We have found out about so many of them thanks to this uh, bankruptcy filing from uh, this coal company. Um, but now we know that they were paying Chris Horner uh, to you know, harass these scientists, to write these uh, uh, books and so forth. And he, Chris Horner is described as a, quote, longtime go-to guy on global warming extremism by none other than Rush Limbaugh. Mm. So Rush Limbaugh is going out and uh, calling it a hoax and beating up on people like uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, meantime, he's getting his information from these folks who are being paid off by the fossil fuel industry itself. Uh, it's it's just amazing. Um <laughs> And and it's not just that small payment, hundreds of thousands uh, that these guys uh, get from the fossil fuel industry to go out there and lie and confuse people about what is actually going on in, on, and around your planet. And speaking of those lies <laughs> and uh, disinforming uh, folks, we've got just a, another minute or two here, but I wanted to get to this in Utah. Um <laughs> The Utah school system, they will have no climate change uh, instruction until the eighth grade. And incredibly enough, Utah is is regarding this as a great victory. So the latest draft, uh, this comes from the Salt Lake Tribune, the latest draft of new middle school science standards postpones discussion of climate change until the eighth grade. While sixth grade students will learn how the greenhouse effect, quote, maintains Earth's energy balance and a relatively constant temperature. <sighs> Boy, that's just... You're uh, happy about that, I know. So the greenhouse effect, it just keeps, it keeps the, the temperature constant. It's a good thing. The, st the standards which outline the topics and skills students should master at each grade level were released for a 30-day public review. If adopted by the board, the school will implement these changes uh, in the 2017 school year, but somewhere the school board has given in to political pressure by scrubbing controversial topics from the standards. Ogden School District Science Specialist April Miss Mitchell said that she was excited by the idea of covering climate change with her sixth grade students and was disappointed to see that the language of rising temperatures had been removed from the latest draft of the standards. Her concerns, she says, is that this will create a misconception that our temperature currently is constant. I think taking that out is withholding evidence from students, she said. Um, David Crandall, the State Board of Education chairman, said that the changes, uh, we're not going to make any irrational moves just based on political opinions one way or the other. Yeah, right. They're very happy with this. They think this is uh, a good thing. Because previously, there was no discussion of climate change until the ninth grade. Now, they can talk about it in the eighth grade, while two years ago, two years earlier, back in the sixth grade, they were telling them that, oh, the greenhouse effect is a good thing. Well, and you know, it is, just for the basic science of it, because of CO2, the planet is actually warmer than the rest of space. So it is what makes... Earth's temperature relatively, and that's the key word here, relatively, it makes it possible for there to be enough liquid water and warm enough for life to flourish on Earth, except 
it doesn't get into the issues of climate change, which is, you know, we are increasing the temperature with by adding greenhouse gases to the atmosphere that aren't, you know, that were safely once safely sequestered underground. So, you know, it, it is partially true. But the fact that these kids are not getting the kind of education that they need and also, you know, in that article, they want to know about it. They're already asking about it. Right. And yet they're not going to get to hear well, about it. Well, they might get to hear about it. I mean, they, she might teach allowed, it anyway, They but. are allowed to talk about it. Um, uh, Mitchell uh, said that the uh, uh, teachers might feel more comfortable, however, approaching controversial topics. Why this is controversial, I don't know. But controversial topics if they were supported by the state school board. So, you know, they're afraid now to go out and, and, and lean too far over their skis and tell their students in sixth grade what is actually happening. Uh, she says, I think you would feel a little bit more confident in teaching that global temperatures are rising if you were backed by a state standard. Ricky Scott, a science specialist with the State Office of Education, however, says that the new approach to the greenhouse effect isn't meant to appease climate change deniers, but instead give incremental information to students. Keyword incremental. Yes, very incremental. Setting up the principles of climate and weather patterns in sixth grade, he said will better prepare students for an examination in eighth grade of the role of human activity and carbon and carbon emissions uh, that they play in global temperatures. So again, they're touting this as a good thing. That is the state of Utah. Beautiful state of Utah, by the way. Be ashamed if something happened to that beautiful state of yours. <laughs> My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. Uh, we will be back with you uh, next time. Until then, you can find us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. And you can uh, drop us email. We are bradcast at bradblog.com. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe for free. And while you're there, give us a good review. Make it a little easier for others to find the program as well. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.